LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. This is the Unseen Leadership Podcast, where we explore the unseen stories that shaped leaders into who they are today. When I feel like I'm leading well, it's usually from a place of uh, being vulnerable and uh, owning what I'm not good at and asking for help. Um, And that has been like a huge huge journey in my life. Um, But I feel like that has caused the most flourishing. Well, welcome to the Unseen Leadership Podcast. I am your host, Chandler Vernoy. And today I'm joined by a co-host, Janae White, who is the senior publicist for B&H Publishing Group here at Lifeway. Janae, welcome to the Unseen Leadership Podcast. Hey, Chandler. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, it's gonna be good. Yeah. Well, I'm really excited about our guest today. Um, Her name is Ellie Holcomb, and she is a Dove Award winning singer songwriter and the author of two children's books titled um, Who Sang the First Song, which came out a few years ago, and her brand new kids book, Don't Forget to Remember, which is now available. So go pick it up wherever you buy your (laughs) books. Um, But Ellie, thank you so much for being with us today. We're excited to have you on Unseen Leadership. Y'all, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, where are you right now? I know that's even a question that you're trying to answer because you're on a tour bus. Is that right? (laughs) Yes, I am on a tour bus, but I woke up today to the snow in Grand Rapids, Michigan, playing a show at Calvin College tonight with my husband. That is awesome. Now, this is actually our second attempt at this <laughs> this right. recording. A we had some technical <laughs> difficulties. So I said this last time as well, but Ellie, speaking of you playing a show with, with your husband, Drew, uh, when I was in high school, we, we were at a Young Life camp and I remember that you all were leading worship that weekend. So that was like the first time that I got to know Drew and Ellie Holcomb. <laughs> yes, years and years ago. And I probably had way shorter hair at that time in my life. Still s- such good music. It was awesome. Do you guys right. ever play Young Life camps anymore? We do. Yeah. We, oh, wow. Um, not as much as we used to. I think um, we've probably spent 11 different summers from wow. anywhere from one month to three months volunteering at Young Life camps to sing, which is crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. And I think is a testament to like the beautiful work that, that God does at Young Life Camp and that we get to be a part of, which is really just like stories and stories and stories mm. of of kids kind of getting the chance to hear and know that they're loved. So, man, so cool. I love that ministry. Yeah, so cool. Well, let's hop in here. I know um, for both Janae and I, we we listen to your your music, and then also I I also your your book, Who Sang the First Song. That is one of our favorite children's books to give um, to, to first time parents. So it's, it's a great book. So would love to hear if you can just walk us through a quick overview of how the Lord has worked in your life to lead you to where you are today. Yeah. So I love that you mentioned young life, um, because I, I am a very reluctant musician. I did not think that this is what I would be doing with my life. Um, I got my master's in education and I taught both high school kids and then eighth graders, um, in English language arts. And I swore that I would never marry a musician, which is (laughs) hilarious. And I also swore that I would never marry my best guy friend in college, uh, Drew Holcomb. And so I just like to say that I think God has a sense of humor because I married Drew, who was a musician (laughs) and then became a musician myself. Um, But the first thing that we did when I quit my teaching job um, to join Drew's band, which I thought was gonna be like a year long diversion, 
but I remember uh, when I was making that decision because I'd have my master's. I loved teaching. I was feeling really like alive and called to that. Um, but when my husband Drew asked me if I would join his band, um, I think I a, a, a friend of mine just said like, "Hey." I was just trying to figure out like, what's the right thing to do with my life? And I think sometimes when you're younger, just out of college or in college, you're like, what do I do? What do I do? <laughs> and mm-hmm. I think that there are, we can do so many of things that we were made to do, which is, I think, love and serve other people well. And you can do that in so many different areas. And yeah your life. Like she was like, can you do what you know you're called to do like as a teacher? And I was like, yeah. She was like, can you do that on the road as a musician? And and the answer is yes. Like, she's like, so where's your heart? Like, what do you want to do? And I think at the end of the day, I, I was like, I think I'm going to always wonder what doing music was like. And so, and we're young hmm. and dumb. So I'm just going <laughs> to, you know, like take a year and do music. And here we are, you know, 15 years later, almost do, still doing this music journey. And the first thing that we did when I packed up my classroom is we drove to a Young Life camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, maybe it was the one that you were at. Let's, let's just say know. it is. That makes the story <laughs> so much is. better. Right. <laughs> but I will never forget. Um, so our role at Young Life Camp, we, we were volunteering to be there. Um, what our role is to play music throughout the, the week. And then, um, and then to, so just like, songs for club, but then to also share our music, we play a concert one night a week. And, um, I started writing music in college. I, I was like a bad version of Taylor Swift because my heart was getting <laughs> broken all the time. And so I would sit in the stairwells and, and sing these songs. So I wouldn't wake up my roommate. And inevitably what would happen when I would sing these songs in college is, um, I would look up and there would be girls lining the stairwell wow. and some of them would be not sober at all. A lot of them would be crying. And just because I I played a song, um, people would sit down on those steps in the dorm and just start telling me their story. And mm-hmm. I just thought, what in the world? So what I learned in college, even though I wasn't planning to do music, but what like captivated my heart a lot was that music is a bridge builder. And there's something about music that connects our stories to somebody else's story, even if it's really different. And so I just, I was like, this is crazy. I love this. So I played songs in the stairwell all through college. A, because it sounds good in the stairwell, but B, because people would tell me their stories. So fast forward, you know, almost four years later, I'm playing songs at a Young Life camp with my husband. And I remember calling my mom and my dad Um, at the end of that week. And I just said, I'm firing on all cylinders. I'm pretty sure like God made me to do this. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because what I saw at Young Life Camp was that I, not only was I playing songs and they were connecting to other kids. So it was a bridge builder to hear other people's stories. But for me, um, it was a way to point people to the ultimate bridge builder, Jesus himself, who for me has connected me from like hopelessness to hope and from death to life and from being so alone to knowing that I'm never alone. And so mm-hmm. for, for music to be sort of the conduit to kind of exchange stories that like the most beautiful story that I know, <laughs> the gospel <laughs> felt like I cannot believe that I get to do this. 
That's so cool. That's awesome. I love hearing that journey. And that gets a lot to what we I wanted to ask you about influence. And there's a quote that we talk about a lot um, on the podcast. It's from John Maxwell. And it says, leadership is influence, nothing more and nothing less. And you've influenced so many through your music, Ellie, like Chandler and I have already said. But I love hearing about how you were using your influence in the Young Life Ministry and in your stairwell in your college dorm. <laughs> and I would just love to hear a little bit more digging into that of what have you learned about leadership through your music? Music, and what advice would you share with young leaders or artists who want to use music and art to influence others in the way that you have? I love that. Yeah, it's a great question. And um, I, so I will um, answer that question by kind of picking up with that, with that same story. So fast forward, you know, I joined my husband's band and we are in, um, you know, bars and community colleges and rooms with not very many people in them (laughs) for a lot of years and a Volvo station, mainly, um, Volvo station wagon, mainly driving to all of those different places. Um, and, uh, I loved doing that. We, then we had our, our first little girl and she came on the road with us at two weeks. By the time she was six months, she'd been to 50, no, She'd been to 32 states and Oh my goodness. um, By the (laughs) time she was six months old. So we were just, you know, this thing that we've been building together was really growing and taking off. And um, uh, a couple of things were happening at that time. And um, one, I realized I've been given this leadership role, like I'm a mom now. And so Mm -hmm. I have this like new leadership role, like as as a mother. And then um, two, I was in counseling, dealing with some like really hard stuff, you know, just from my past, just dealing with pain for the first time and finding Mm -hmm. so much freedom. Um, I basically spent my whole life running away from pain. And then all of a sudden, about three years into being married to Drew, um, you know, it all, all of this stuff kind of started coming out sideways and I ended up in counseling and it was, it changed my life y'all. And so I, I think, um, what started happening is I realized that I could tell the truth first of all to myself. Um, and then, then that trickled down into every relationship, into my marriage, into my friendships, into my work environment. And so, um, I ended up quitting Drew's band, uh, really to be stay home. I thought it was to stay home with my little girl because she was in a car seat for like seven hours a day. And I just didn't feel like that was like the best thing for her. Um, but that was a huge, that was a huge um, step of faith because we've kind of been building this thing. I kind of walked away from, I mean, if you think about building a business as a young leader, it makes absolutely no sense to like walk away from something as they're really starting to get traction. Like we got our first Europe tour and we were opening the the last tour that I did, we were opening for this band need to breathe and our platform was growing. But I think what was so important for me was, um, I, what I realized is I was trying to write all of this music and fit it into what Drew, my husband was doing. And what's what I, but I kept accidentally writing songs about Jesus. Like every time I'd sit down to write Uh-oh, a song, again. <laughs> again, yeah, I'd be like, Oh shoot, this is like me working out my faith again. And I was memorizing scripture with a friend of mine at the time who battled depression. And that was like changing us, not changing our circumstances, but changing us from the inside out. And so I think there was this real, realization. Um, and I, my, and my husband drew was like, Hey, I just want you to know, like, I think you need to write what's coming out of you. Like, 
I think that you don't need to feel like you need to write for my band. I think you just need to be who you are Mm -hmm. and like lean into that. And I don't, I did not need his permission to do that. But for some reason that like set a fire under me and I started writing songs like it was my job, even though it wasn't technically my job. Mm -hmm. I didn't think anyone was ever (laughs) going to hear them. And so I think there was this, what I would say, like the most important thing that I learned that I've learned about leadership is I've never really seen myself as a leader. Um, but, but what has been so important is for me to be who I am and not try to just be, um, it's just been a really like beautiful thing to like own my own story, to own my own pain, to stand up in that. And then to, from that create. And so there's been, um, I would say like vulnerability has kind of led the way for that. And it's been really scary, but really, really beautiful. So I kind of accidentally started this whole other, uh, music career that was really born out of, um, out of learning to be like the most authentic version of myself, um, mm-hmm. which for me, I'm a seven on the Enneagram. I hate pain. I hate <laughs> conflict. And so, but I, I began to tell the truth to myself and my relationships and my, in my relationship with God. And then that just filtered into all of this music mm-hmm. that I was writing. And, um, and, and I did a, a Kickstarter campaign, uh, really to just fund a record. I just thought I was going to write. I thought I was supposed to be a stay-at-home mom, and then I was going to write songs for other people. But since this kind of invitation, because uh, I was experiencing so much freedom from, I guess, this sense that I had to be good enough and love God and love other people enough, and that's really not the gospel at all. <laughs> like, <laughs> he didn't come to God. Don't, God didn't come to make bad people good people. He came to make dead people alive people, and that's mm. what I was experiencing. And so there was this kind of invitation, like, would you be willing to go be a mess in front of people and, and to share these songs that you've been writing to remind your own like weary, forgetful heart of the truth. And so, um, starting a career at the point where I had a young family and I knew we wanted to have more kids felt like the dumbest decision on the face (laughs) and scary. Um, but I am so thankful that I didn't let fear, um, inform, like make that decision for me. Um, I, I like, I just felt like, okay, if I'm going to do this, like, and and maybe God, if you want me to do this, you're going to make it really clear. And so we did this Kickstarter campaign and I thought I was going to throw up before we hit play on it. (laughs) (laughs) Just because if you don't hit your goal in those, you just fail in front of everybody. So like, this sounds awful. Um, but I really did feel like the freedom that I was experiencing, I kind of wanted to share that with, I did want to share that with other people. And so, um, it felt sort of like that Indiana Jones scene where, um, well, maybe younger people haven't seen that, but if you haven't seen it, you should go watch it. It's a great scene. <laughs> but he is stepping off onto what looks like, it looks like his death. Like it looks like he's going to fall into this like abyss, this pit. And as he steps out, there is like a bridge that comes, like ground that comes underneath his feet. And that is what it has been like. Um, taking steps when I've kind of lived vulnerably and with authenticity um, and kind of pursued the things that I felt like made my heart really come alive. Um, it, it has been like scary. Like I felt like I was stepping off into a pit, but then the ground has come up underneath my feet with mm. each step that I have taken. And that has been like, I feel so alive y'all. And it's not an easy journey, but I have gotten to 
to do things and to experience things in my career that I, I didn't even know that I was going to have a career. (laughs) And so I would say, um, like to not let fear dictate like what your, your decision-making to not make decisions out of fear. Um, and then to pay attention to what makes your heart beat fast and come alive Mm. and to like lean into that and to not worry about what other people are doing. Um, but to do what makes you feel alive. Cause I think the, what the world needs is people who feel alive and are alive doing what they're, what they're made to do. Well, we're, we're so glad that you hit play on that Kickstarter. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. And what's, what was so cool about that is I, we were trying to raise, um, we ended up raising the goal in like two days in 48 hours, which is crazy. We were trying wow. to raise $40,000 and we ended up raising 250%, which is like, wow. it's one of the highest ranking, like creative, like music projects, I think on Kickstarter. It was at the time, it was just an overwhelming, like, wow. okay, I think I might, I think I'm supposed to do this. And, and with that money, we were able to like hire a nanny. Cause I was like, how am I like, I had never played a show y'all by myself. I'd done, mm, um, huh. I had done two women's conferences and that's how anyway, that a friend of mine just asked me to come do. And I played not very long, you know? Um, and, but every single song I played, all the women were like, do you have these recorded anywhere? And I'd never recorded any of my music. And so mm. I ended up recording them and like, I made, um, you know, remember when you could burn CDs? Yes. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I'm so old, but you could burn CDs and I would burn them on my computer and put them in a jewel case that I bought at Office Depot and put them in a brown paper bag with a sticker. And like, that's, <laughs> that's what I amazing. told to people like it wasn't even on iTunes at first. And, but people kept calling me and I was still on the road with Drew at the time when this was happening, people kept calling me or emailing me and saying, I want like 50 of these to give to all my friends for Christmas. So there was this sort of demand that was happening. Like people were like, please, can you share this with us? And so there was a sense of like, oh man, there's something about the music that I'm writing that I thought was just for me, that's connecting with a lot more people than just Mm -hmm. me. And man, what an honor and and a privilege to get to do that. That's so cool. Well, before we get to the next question, let's take a moment to hear from one of our sponsors. On this podcast, we hope to equip our listeners with the best resources to help churches thrive. So if you're looking at launching a thriving church in a rented venue, I encourage you to check out the team at Portable Church. Portable Church Industries equips churches meeting in alternative venues with total solutions so you can launch strong, be reproducible, and thrive in your communities. For over 25 years, they have partnered with church planners and multi-site leaders, mastering creative, intelligent, effective, portable church solutions. So you and your team stay focused on the things that matter, building disciples. See what this looks like by visiting portablechurch.com lifeway. Once again, that's portablechurch.com lifeway. Now back to the podcast. So you were touching on this earlier about kind of the authenticity of writing and the creative process. When you're dreaming about like a project, what what does that look like for you? Where do you get your inspiration? And really, can you just kind of walk us through your creative process? Sure. Yeah. I for for me, I am a deeply um, well. I call myself a selfish writer <laughs> because <laughs> I am usually just 
and it, I guess because it, it started very, very much authentically this way. Yeah. I was writing songs for myself and, and for my friend that was like battling depression. And so um, that is just sort of continued to be the journey for me. Every record that I make, I'm always like, I always tell my management, I'm like, I may never make another one. I don't know. We'll just have to see. Um, <laughs> because for me, I'm writing what I need to hear. Um, and and what what my like, I, I say this a lot, but like, I'm just very forgetful. And so um, I write what, I write the truths that my forgetful and unbelieving and doubting heart wants to remember. <laughs> yeah. Um, and for some reason, the way that I am wired when I sing, I believe. And so if I can sing something, there is something that sort of like, I don't know, helps truth sink deeper down into my soul. And so, um, I, that usually like I'm in the middle of, I'm writing for another full length record right now. And, and so it's just looked like kind of being on the journey of life and, and walking through pain and sorrow and heartache and disappointment and joy. And I write my way through that. Um, it's sort of writing has been like my way of processing and, and coping. It's been a good counseling tool, honestly. And so I kind of think I, um, end up just preaching the truth to myself. And I think if this is good for my heart, then maybe it'll, it'll strike a chord with, someone else's story. And I really felt like that, Ellie, when I listened to your album, Red Sea Road, and I remember hearing you play that, I think it was at If Gathering. And just, I mean, even from what I'm hearing you say about preaching the truth to our soul and singing to our soul, and that reminds me so much of just that, how much that album resonated with me and the pain that you said you were walking through, but um, needing to know where that Red Sea Road is. So I, I loved that what you did with that album specifically. Um, yeah, and thank you. Yeah. And that's one thing we all know as humans, you know, is pain. Right. Mm. And so <laughs> you forget that. Like, I mean, I hate pain. Nobody like wants that, but right. it is something that we all, I mean, it's a universal concept. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we all know it in, in our varying degrees. Um, but, I, and, and what I love about, for, for me, like, and my faith is that, um, that it's something that resonates with the heart of God too. Like he's kind of entered into that too. And so there's deep comfort for me in knowing that we're not alone. And then even in hearing other people's stories, I mean, the signing lines, like if I'll do a, a line after a concert, <laughs> I just, I didn't, I was not prepared after that record. I, I was going to be hearing a lot of stories of a lot of people who have experienced a lot of pain. And so it has been such an encouragement to know like none of us are alone in that. Yeah. And I love what you said, which is a great segue to your kids book. You talked about um, that sometimes we just need to remember the truths that we know and reminding ourselves (laughs) to remember. And your new kids book, which is available now, is Don't Forget to Remember, which we're so excited to partner with you on. And I'm just curious about going from writing these albums, from singing and touring with your husband. At what point did you realize you wanted to write a children's book? And how was that creative process similar and different from what you've described in your writing process. Yeah. So I, I am a hesitant children's book writer as well. And it's so amazing because I'm in the same vein of music. I'm like, Oh no, no, no. I don't think I'm going to do that. And then I'm like, no, I am. And I love it. So um, (laughs) it has been a a really, uh, really beautiful process. The people, the, the, my team at BNH, 
really, they reached out to me and said, we think that you would, um, I don't like, we think that you would be great at writing children's books. And I'm like, that is so sweet. I am not going to do that. But thank you for thinking of me. And <laughs> thank they, you so much. I think we had like three years of meetings. They would meet every year and just say, no, we actually really do think that you would like this. And so on the third meeting that we had, I was like, guys, this is so sweet. And I love children. I have children. And they're like, exactly. <laughs> just say what you want to say to them. And I'm like, well, I'm just really busy, actually. Like my plate is pretty full and this just isn't something, I don't know. I just, I don't know. And so they said, this was such a great, and I love this idea. Um, just even as like a young leader, like thinking of young leaders, uh, they came to me three times and then they said, why don't you just try? Like, hmm. there's no pressure. Like we're not signing a deal or anything like that. You don't have to commit to anything, but just like, let's say Drew, your husband goes out of town on a trip. You put the kids down take a night and just like jot some ideas down, send them to us. And if they're terrible, that'll be the end of the story. (laughs) No more meetings every year. (laughs) And and so I, I did that one night and I sat down and I mean, I came alive. Like I just absolutely loved it. And I actually wrote my first children's book that most of it came out just that night as like an idea. Um, and it was, so it has just been, it has been a joy for this season of my life. I have, I I do have young children. And so it is very much in line with, with what, with what I'm wanting them to, what I'm wanting to communicate with them. And so, and they're my like little test audience. (laughs) (laughs) Did you like that? What'd you not like? (laughs) Yeah. Did you like that? And, and really truthfully, you know, I just thought I, this book, this new book that I just wrote, um, I was just doing an interview earlier today and they're like, how do you have time to write another kid's book? And I was like, well, honestly, I, I did sign a two book deal. So I, I needed to write a second one. <laughs> it wasn't an option. I was like, it's, but I'm so thankful that I did that. I signed a two book deal because when I got down to it at the end of the day, like you, I, as a mom of young children, like it is so wonderful, but it is so life is so full because I'm still working. I'm still doing this like career thing as well. And so, um, at the end of the days, a lot of days I am like, I get to the end of the day and I'm like, okay, we kept everybody alive. Everybody's (laughs) fed. I reminded them to be kind. We washed our hands before our meals. We like held, they held my hands in the parking lots. Like there's so much that you're communicating to them just about like living and existing that at the end of the, but at the end of the day, I'm like, did I tell them anything that I actually really want them to know? Like Mm -hmm. they're made on purpose and that they are loved by the God who made them and, and that each of them are unique and they have gifts to share with the world. And, and I'm like, no, I am not usually communicating that throughout the days. And so, but at the end of the day, we always gather around and we sing and we pray and we read stories. And so I thought, man, if I could write a book that would help my own forgetful, weary heart and my, and my kids' precious hearts remember what actually matters at the end of the day, I want to be a part of that. Like, I want to make a book that could be like a campfire to gather around as a family at the end Mm. of the day to warm our hearts by the light of God's love for us. And so that has been such a joy. I bet story time and the songs that you all sing at the Holcomb household is just awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Just record those. Yes. It'd be great. It's really fun. Well, and it's so funny. Writing for the kids is so different than my regular records because I just like... I would still forget to remember what's true. So I think if I can write it into a song, 
can easily remember like a thousand songs. And so what if for my kids, I could write the truth that I want them to know the truth that God loves them into songs. And what if those were the songs that got stuck in their heads? I'm like, that is like a great situation. So I would write a song, come home and sing it for the kids just once. And then if they were not singing it later that night or the next day or later that week, I would just think I need to do better. <laughs> and so I would go back and try to write a melody that was more catchy so that they could remember it. So it's been a really fun uh, process to have my test audience in my home. That's that's so neat. Well, we're going to move to the quick hitter questions here. And speaking yes. of your busy schedule, <laughs> what is your <laughs> ideal daily routine? So what time do you wake up, get into the office of their tour bus? What does that look like for you? <laughs> yeah, every day is totally different. There's like I thought it not would be. <laughs> a lot of rhythm. Um, but I, if I can get up a little, just a little bit earlier than everybody else um, and have a second to read and to journal. Uh, And sometimes that is like one sentence and a deep breath and a sip of coffee before my kids are awake. (laughs) Um, But that is like, that will set the tone for me better. Like my days when I do that, just give myself a little margin at the beginning of the day. Um, That is better. Ideally, I would exercise in some way. I prefer walks outside or Pilates, or if I can get on a paddle board, that is definitely preferable, but happens about four times a year. So, uh, I, uh, I love being out, uh, on the water and out in, in creation. That is a very much like a fill my tank, uh, and then take the kids to school. Um, and if I'm in town about three days a week, I'm in co-writes with other writers or I'm writing by myself. Um, and doing interviews or meetings about three days a week, come home, eat dinner, fix dinner. I love cooking, but don't always do that every day, to be Mm -hmm. honest. Um, And then we do like the bedtime routine after playing outside or inside if it's bad weather. So we, uh, we, we, love at the end of the day, singing and reading and then putting our kids to sleep. And then after that, usually my husband and I, um, we are not big TV watchers. We, I mean, we just like try to connect or we'll have friends over later who don't have kids <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> um, because we're usually going every which way, like we're in different cities a lot of the times. So, um, we try to be really intentional with that, like post bedtime time to just like, just connect and, and connect with other people because our community is a pretty important, uh, pretty important thing to feel grounded and anchored when you're in a different city half of your days. Sure. Yeah. I love what you said about the beginning of the day and then also at the end of the day, be really being intentional about the margin and the balance and setting the tone for your morning. And then also thinking about the end of the day. I think that's really important. Yeah, it's, it is, it's very helpful. And so with as little rhythm and like sort of regular schedule that we have, those kind of things really, really do help. Yeah. Okay. So what is your favorite personality test? I know you already said you're an Enneagram seven. So is that your favorite personality test or do you prefer one of the other ones out there? A hundred percent. Enneagram. Yes. I can talk to you about it all day long. It has been transformative for yeah. me and, and for our marriage for my work relationships, understanding like my manager and how she, it's like transformed our working relationship. I think it is such a helpful tool. And I know it's not 
the end all be all. But right. I do love on the Enneagram that they, that there's sort of like um, room for movement and we kind of pull from different numbers and move towards different things in stress and in growth. And so, yeah, I Enneagram. It's, it's so comprehensive and even talking about the movement and room for maturity and what a healthy or average or unhealthy version of your number looks like is so important and thinking about as you move through life and where you need to improve. It just takes into account so many other things for me. So totally. Well, and it's not just like, oh, uh, I'm just seven. That's right. what I do. It's like, <laughs> right. well, okay, you can say that, but that's just an excuse. And here's what <laughs> growth looks like, you know, and it's like, oh my goodness. Yeah. That is convicting and wonderful. Right. It's like when I, when I first read, I think the road back to you was the first one that I read. And I knew that I'd found my number when I was like literally uncomfortable reading the words on the page of all <laughs> this the is weird. Right. The other ones, they're like, yeah, these are all your strengths and this is what you're so great at. And that can be a really helpful tool as well. But the Enneagram, man, it shows you your weaknesses and what you're motivated by that's not good. And it shows you how to get out of that and how to mature past that. So, yeah, it's so it is. Yeah. It's been a really, it's been a gift. It's been a gift to me in more ways than one and understanding other people too, yourself. Yes. But it's been so helpful to understand people who feel so different than you. Right. And like, Oh my goodness. Right. They really right. are seeing the world through a different set of a worldview or glasses or whatever. Yeah. So. Yeah, Janae loves the Enneagram. I so do. she can talk about this. I know. I was we kind should, of hoping yes. we, say this. We should really have you back on and just like do a deep dive. <laughs> exactly. Into do the whole, do the whole Enneagram deal. That'd and Chandler and I just found out that we are also the same number. We're both threes. Both threes. So. I was confused for a while. I thought I was an eight. <laughs> but those are apparently, you can like, those have overlapped. Sure. So, sure. Yeah. So but, but, if you okay, haven't so taken you the Enneagram, go take it. Go take it. Um, Ellie, what's an unusual habit that helps you in your leadership? I love that y'all ask this question. <laughs> um, I love it so much. And I would say uh, to play, <laughs> like, not to play music, but like to play. I'm, I'm, we just talked about the seven on the Enneagram. Sorry, I'm not <laughs> trying to bring it back to that. But um, I, I love, I, I think that, um, we, I can get, I can get so focused on work and then my responsibilities as a mom that I forget to like create the margin in the space to just mm. play. And anytime that I do that, whether it's just space to, to rest or to, I love, I love reading, um, and to give myself, whether it's read fiction or some other kind of like more like a self-help book, but just giving myself the space to do that. Anytime I do that, my capacity increases like tenfold to create my capacity to lead. And so, um, taking time to play is something that I'm actually trying to be way more intentional about this year. And I'm sort of testing out this concept. I, a friend of mine, um, who's a two on the Enneagram, which is the, a helper. She's mm -hmm. always like doing things for everybody. And she sent a picture of, um, a fire, a campfire that, that in the middle of the day that she sent to our little, um, group of friends. And she just said, I want you guys to know that I, in the middle of lunch hour, where I'd usually be fixing lunch for everybody, I came out here and I built a fire for myself. Huh. And it has been like such a joy to just sit here and lunch is still being served. Like people are not starving. <laughs> you know, <laughs> There's some other people here that can do that. And I just, and so I'm kind of trying to develop this idea of, 
what does it look like to build fires for your own soul? And, mm. um, and obviously you don't do that all the time, but to get a rhythm of building a fire for myself every now and then. Um, and every single time I do it so far, when I test it out, it has been amazing to see my capacity grow. Mm. I love that. What does it look like to build a fire for your soul? I'm going to think about that. Yeah, that's, that's good. <laughs> okay. So our last question, Ellie, is what one sentence advice would you give someone going into a leadership position for the first time? I would say uh, to lead with authenticity. I, I think that has been uh, the most beautiful thing for me. Um, when I feel like I'm leading well, it's usually from a place of uh, being vulnerable <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, owning what I'm not good at and asking for help. Um, and that has been like a huge, huge journey in my life. Um, but I feel like that has caused the most flourishing. Um, and so uh, then I'll just tack onto that, read Brene Brown. Yes, <laughs> yes. Any mention of vulnerability, go read Brene Brown or watch um, her TED Talk. She has Thank been you. like my soul coach on, on that. And it's every relationship in my family and then in work with with uh, music as an artist, she has spoken so much truth into that. And so I would just say, lead with authenticity. You will never regret it. Which, which specific book would you recommend of hers? Um, I think my first one of hers was the gifts of imperfection, but I think rising strong is, is probably the one that has been like a rudder for me as I've navigated career. That's awesome. Well, that's such a great reminder. Lead with authenticity and it's also convicting. Yes. <laughs> we don't want to do that at all. No, um, it's so it's hard. Scary. It's so scary. It is so yeah. scary. Yeah. But then when we do, it just opens I, just the, the flourishing that comes and the me too. I mean, movement that kind of comes with that. It's like people are like, oh, I'm not the only one that hmm. struggles with that. I'm not the only one that needs help sometimes. I'm not the only one that makes mistakes. It is so vulnerable and scary, but it is, it is a beautiful and alive and full way to live your life. So Mm, we can keep talking about this. It's, it's so good, but Ellie, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today and sharing about your leadership journey and your time as a young leader. And for you listening, thank you. We hope it's been helpful. If it has head on over to Instagram, leave us a comment, share about the podcast so others can find the podcast as well. We'll see you next time. 